0: This is Monica Perez, your Libertarian Voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And we're changing it up a little bit today. Normally I talk about current events in the context of libertarianism, but today I'm talking about libertarianism. I think uh, we've been talking about it since 3 o'clock and I'm like not even a fraction of the way through all the posts and letters and Tweets I got about this, really good questions, lots of uh, nuances to the arguments, which seem so simplistic and black and white. But really, when I started digging into libertarianism in the extreme, I found that <clears throat> it's a very erudite subject or people are highly educated and intelligent about it from economics to morality. It's a serious business. And earlier, I got... A tweet from, or Brett called and said he gave people the super short or the shortest ever political quiz and found that many people who think they are conservatives are actually libertarians. Libertarians believe in fiscal conservatism, civil liberties, and just wars only. They call it the non-aggression principle, but I think that's sometimes misunderstood to be thought of non-violence. A lot of libertarians are locked and loaded, ready for defense not aggression. That's the, that's what you have to think of. And, uh, but there are some misunderstandings about libertarianism and some criticisms of the movement that aren't criticisms of the philosophy, but of how the powers that be exploited. I'll read you a couple of things here. One is an email I got from Hugh. Libertarians are being used to foster open borders I got another one from uh, email from Froggy, who describes himself liberal guy here. And he writes me a long email, but I'm only going to read the ending. The last paragraph he said, libertarianism is a philosophical construct of the 1% to deny Americans their right to pursue happiness and to keep the right left paradigm alive and divide us. So he is saying that libertarianism is given to us by the 1% to keep us distracted, to keep us fighting one another instead of fighting the 1%. And I I believe I could answer Froggy by saying this. You could say the same thing about Marx. Karl Marx, and I've looked this up more than once, I don't think it's disputed. Was funded by capitalists, or I should say, elitists—the power elite, those in power who wanted to remain in power—not through laissez-faire entrepreneurship, which is how I define capitalism, but through manipulation of the levers of power. Actually, financed Marx to to offer the people who were unionizing and stuff in the in uh, in the wake of the industrial revolution this illusion. Of power, of getting a piece of the pie, of sharing in the profits, that that Marx was really designed to create a system where the power and money still funnel to the top, but that the workers wouldn't know that. Now, this is real deep state kind of stuff. This is down the rabbit hole stuff, which uh, you I don't think you can deny that he was uh, in bed with those guys. But to the extent the revolution in Russia and that kind of thing was really driven by the people. There has to be some of that, but there are also some deep uh, historical facts about bankers funding the Bolsheviks. There's a book uh, um, on my bookshelf called Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution by Anthony Sutton, a very respected guy. So, they any any kind of grassroots movement that resists the centralization of power is is always going to be infiltrated by the powers who want to maintain power so you have lenin's quote what's the best way to beat the competition well the opposition it's to control it that's where we get the expression controlled opposition which means if your guy is running like a, i've i've read more than once that ron paul is controlled opposition that he's secretly working for corporations and i have actually sat down and given that a lot of thought as painful as it would be for me because i really admire ron paul and i have concluded that is not true but the reason people say that is he'll vote against tax increases or tax normalization for energy companies and he's from texas so that sounds funny and maybe maybe it's a little pragmatism at work i don't know but his story is that he never votes for a tax increase ever and i can understand that but when if if the powers that be who we can see through the media and government always frame the issues for us we're busy people we can't not this is my job to dig in and it's hard for me to get to the bottom of things But they they frame the issues for us and you like there was a struggle for power at the Cato Institute, which is a big libertarian think tank and media outlet. One side of that struggle, no doubt. I mean, I don't know the inside stuff about that struggle, but but when I see struggles for power, obviously, there are two sides to the story and. What I think the powers that be would want what Froggy is accusing libertarians of being victim of is that they will focus us, say, on deregulation or lower taxes for corporations. And then libertarians will, as one, rise up and say, do not regulate this. So Uber just lost a, a battle in California, Uber, the car service that now they're California says they're people have to be employees their workers have to be employees instead of just contractors who use the Uber app to get business for themselves now Uber has to pay them and deal with all the the regulations and the and the employment law and all that kind of stuff that's going to raise the price of Uber and it's also going to cut out competition so Uber is then Uber and Lyft will probably be oligopolies ultimately it could help Uber Because nobody can really compete. You can't just have a guy who makes a competing app and gets people to sign up for it. The little guy can't really compete if he has to then get an accounting department to pay everybody. So these regulations can be used to support big corporations. But regardless, we focus, libertarians will often focus on, yes, we are against regulation for that reason. Because it screws up. The market and it impoverishes us it makes things more expensive it increases unemployment all that kind of stuff but what what i think is a valid criticism is nobody not froggy the liberal guy or libertarians really focus on the fact that these big corporations although they talk about a lot of times economic freedom in reality what they're what they're they're talking out of both sides of their mouths. They're not really for economic freedom because on the backside, they have a stranglehold over government. So they they will have influence if you consider it a big network like the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, banks, corporations, the military industrial congressional complex was the original word for that. If you think of them all working together, and you can see through think tanks, foundations, that the board of directors, all the contributors, there all these organizations working together. They do things like give third world countries huge loans and encourage them to have laws that restrict private capital investment from abroad. And that makes it uh, really sets those company countries up. For uh, or having huge debts, having only multinational corporations get special dispensation to come in there and open a business, where, whereas the native people have to deal with regulatory barriers they cannot overcome. So when the corporations and the banks get in bed with the government, hijack the government, have a stranglehold over it. It is not a free system, and it creates real problems, real poverty, real lack of economic opportunity, the inability to start your own business. And and because we can take our cues from media outlets think tanks foundations that call themselves libertarian and in large part are but keep us focused on on the on the outlet end of uh deregulating corporations rather than the the top end where they they nip our freedoms in the butt at the government level that we never see that's why libertarians can get uh, a bad name for that kind of stuff so i've got a few more things to say about that um, I'm going to, I would just in conclusion say that when you look at TARP, the bailout of the banks, which was socialism when things got tough, but the banks get all the profits they want when things are good. I would say that TARP is worse than OSHA, which is um, like health and safety, occupational hazard stuff. Nobody wants, no libertarian wants any of the regulations or TARP, but in my opinion, tarp is a much greater threat to economic liberty than OSHA is. Yet we're directed to focus on the regulations the corporations don't like rather than this socializing losses with which the corporations uh, lobby for, bribe people for. So i'm going to I'm going finish that up and tell you uh, a little more about. The Rand Paul question, if his compromises do represent a controlled opposition or really just political pragmatism. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It is going to get hotter as the work week starts. It's 96, 97 are the highs early in the week. Let's hope that changes. Stay tuned for more updates from WSB. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. I am wrapping up this uh, part of the conversation where people criticize the libertarians for being kind of captives of the corporations, of the cronies, unwitting captives. I will say I've given it a lot of thought, and I do not buy that Ron Paul is in on it, you know. But I see some of the stuff Rand Paul does, and I don't know how to characterize that. He, uh, he compromises, and I understand that. He's very pragmatic, I think, and I understand that. But recently, I was kind of put off because he was very staunch in his opposition to the USA Patriot Act, which did the provision. I think it was two fifteen, which was used by the government to defend its ability to collect metadata. He was instrumental in letting that thing expire. But uh, there was a court ruling that said that that. USA Patriot Act actually did not authorize metadata collection and that it had never been authorized by Congress and would have to be separately if they wanted to continue the process. So when the USA Patriot Act expired thanks to Rand Paul's help, That gave real impetus for the USA Freedom Act to get passed, because then there was this gap in surveillance without any kind of preparation, no transitional thought to it whatsoever, and people then were like, well, we have to have something, let's pass the USA Freedom Act, which for the first time ever institutionalized This collection of metadata so I any any normal politician I would say well the guy who did that was a political operative that he did this uh, card trick so that we wouldn't see what was happening they're doing it right now with the trade promotion authority for Obama they're doing all sorts of procedural nonsense to make it look like there's a fight afoot but they're doing what they want to do so I was pretty disappointed that Rand Paul was instrumental in that and uh, and the question is, does did he mean to? I don't know. I don't know. I think he's just a compromiser. But the problem is, the Republican establishment is never going to accept him as one of them. And in the meanwhile, they can use him to do some harm. So I understand that criticism. I'm open to defense of him, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And uh, I'm going to... Get to Max' question, how will libertarians deal with the sick and disabled needing help? I think I'm in a position to address that. You can tweet your responses to at Monica Perez Show. And now for something completely different. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am completely different. I am an anarcho-capitalist. I am an extreme libertarian. I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. But I want to address a question I got from Mac. I put this, the idea of today's show, libertarianism, all things libertarian, uh, on my Facebook, Twitter. And so I got a lot, a lot, a lot, dozens and dozens of questions and comments. And one of them was from Mac, who said, how will libertarians deal with the sick and disabled needing help? And I have really thought about that because my first child has Down syndrome. He's 12. He's going to be 13. And basically, he still needs constant supervision. I actually have like a little alarm on his door so that I can leap out of bed the second he wakes up in the morning because I just, he'll run away. I mean, it's, and he's super high functioning, but he can't, he just can't handle any kind of responsibility. So I've given this a lot, a lot of thought. And I've come up with a few uh, real observations. First of all, the vast majority of people who we pity, people who we feel need help, like there's 46 million people on food stamps in this country. Those people, there, there is no reason for poverty in this country for able-bodied people, that there is a, uh, a basic, uh, you have to have a certain observation of human nature and i think that when you disagree with what i'm saying a lot of times it comes down to we have different observations about human nature and that uh what it is is that that all you eat because you work but no one needs to give you a job human ingenuity the actual act of production creates the prosperity the wealth the means to survive and we have unemployment in this country in my educated opinion because largely because there are all these barriers to the free functioning of the labor market so you can eliminate i would say 99% of the people you pity in this country if you allow economic freedom and the the opportunities and consequences that go along with it my son who has down syndrome i believe I have seen similar people. I believe he will be able to function economically, that he will be able to produce enough, even if it's bagging groceries, that he will be able to produce enough to earn three squares and a cot, as they say, three meals and a place to sleep. It's no, he can't earn luxury. Hopefully I'll be there for him and I plan ahead for him. But what if I, I really had no wiggle room for a special needs child and I was going to need some help? I just did the quick math, and you can, like all social programs, they are really just forms of insurance. They're all, anything the government does outside of protecting your rights is a form of insurance. And in the day before there were huge numbers of children with Down syndrome aborted, there were one in every 400 births was a child with Down syndrome. And if you took... Every every person who wanted to sign up for insurance who looked and said, you know, I really cannot afford the extra costs of taking care of a special child. I don't know if this child has Down syndrome or not. Um, maybe you can sign up before you even get pregnant. But if everybody contributed $1,000 to this insurance fund and your baby was born without Down syndrome, you lost $1,000, but you're pretty happy because you have a baby without Down syndrome. And if you were the one out of four hundred who got the child with Down syndrome, you would get the four hundred thousand dollars that's in that kitty. That's how insurance works, and that's how it would work. And I would, I would go further and say that we, that the way our government is working right now, under the premise of helping disabled people, it's actually creating real disabilities and poverty from any, everywhere from. Poor schooling, public education doing the opposite of really empowering people, disempowering them, if that's a word. The drug war, which creates a weird black market subculture that um, makes outsized profits and extremely violent. Uh, you know, they need violence in order to conduct their transactions simply because they don't have access to police and courts. This is a problem. Welfare, paying people to have babies, paying people more if they are not married these these are actually creating incentives for some people with uh, drug problems to actually have babies you're creating incentives to have extreme dysfunction and i would say on net it's not better that way uh i i you know the bottom line is underneath it all if the if the community has enough prosperity to support the very weakest among them they will do so. You have a moral impetus. They're one of the number one sources of happiness and contentment in studies has shown giving is part of that. When you look at the billions of people who say they're part of a religion, what is that? Controlling your behavior and giving charity. That's what, what basically the common tenet of all religions s- seems to be. Uh, I also got an email from Alan. Uh, I'm going to read it. It's uh, like a full paragraph, but I'm going to read it, and it's important because this uh, is—I understand the practical aspects of libertarianism. I'm not just an idealistic uh, kid who's rejecting the establishment or my parents. I understand the dangers of unbridled impulses. So let me read you Alan's email, and then I will— and give my response it says hello monica philosophers since the ancients speak of the wise the fool the brave the weak the bad man the good man a society composed of the just wise brave and good would be the ingredients for a libertarian society perhaps like the early days of those founding this great nation however with time changing so- societal mores and culture deem that those kind of people become rare A system of laws and statutes become more necessary for those who can't handle it. These laws have to be administered by an elected government. Above all, this is where our reason takes over. In the words of Sophocles, Anarchy, anarchy, show me a greater evil. This is why cities tumble and the great houses rain down. This is what scatters armies. Reason is God's crowning gift to man. But I would answer, Alan, to say, first of all, the founders were not faced with a society composed of just, uh, of, me- of only just, wise, brave, and good men. The founders were quite uh, uh, insightful as to what they were dealing with. This was the age of enlightenment. This was the understanding of human behavior in a uh, political, civil, economic context. And And what I would say, what I see... In the world around us today, which is very different from that world, I think, just because of the, the, uh, the powers that be have taken our tax money over the decades and used it against us to develop surveillance technologies and other technologies that will keep us from, uh, from being able to resist them. And this goes to this idea that absolute power corrupts absolutely, even if it's whether it's in the person of one man or the person of our really borderline totalitarian government. Not that they actually have become totalitarian and telling us who to work for and how many hours to work and stuff. Not totally. But they have all the mechanisms in place for that. And these guys... uh The way I look at it is once you you set up that mechanism where all the power is at the top, you you have a a place where these what I call functional sociopaths, sociopaths are people who have no conscience, functional sociopaths, sometimes genius sociopaths can get in there and control this mechanism that is the federal government uh, that that takes over every aspect of our lives does not it abuses us it it steals our money it kills people you look it's just a couple of hundred people in washington putting this trade promotion authority in the hands of obama which will create a world government it will take the government completely out of our hands i feel that i am not against uh government i'm against the modern state The modern state, which has this this uh, unbridled ability to tax and kill our articles of confederation did not give the federal government the right to tax because they could see the problem there. And it made sure, as Patrick Henry told us, that the guns were in the hands of the people, the militias, the states, so that these higher and higher levels of government could not have total control and I'll tell you, uh, this is how I came to realize that that the state really couldn't be trusted. The central seat of power could not be trusted. I, I was in California. I lived in California in 2008 when Obama was running for the first time. And his pictures were Stalin Soviet or Soviet-style color block pictures of his face. And it said, hope at the bottom, whatever. And I looked and I thought, that is absolutely a communist reference. A Soviet reference. How did we get from there to here? How did we get from the American experiment to to later the USA News and World Report said we are all socialists now? And I tried to trace back what was the turning point? Was it LBJ and his great society? Was it FDR and the New Deal? was it Wilson and World War 1 that's a good candidate in my opinion but a lot of people go back and say it was the Civil War i could go back even further and say that when the constitution replaced the articles of confederation it was the beginning of the end as patrick henry said in a in a speech i was referring to earlier he said starting this document with we the people instead of we the states is an end to this American experiment. It is a greater revolution. I'm paraphrasing, but he said it is a greater revolution than the one we fought to free ourselves from Great Britain. The transformation from we the states to we the people, because it was no longer a confederation, he said, but a consolidated government. So you could go back and say that. And then my answer then in my mind was, No greater experiment could ever be conducted to give the sovereignty to the citizen. It was the Age of Enlightenment. There was a land here, North America, that whether it was by uh, nefarious means or whatever... The Indians, the American Indians who were here really did not have the power, a central government. There was no government to overthrow or push out of the way. It was for for those purposes, a clean slate. And these guys knew what they were doing and they were dedicated. So what better possibility to have this experiment than that one and still look where we've come. We've come to the most powerful government of all time. And it does not defend our rights. So I started to think that the, if, you don't, if you don't have the ability to opt out, which is what secession was about, you are, are, are just powerless. And, and that's just too dangerous a situation. I gave up hope. But I'm going to tell you after the break how I got my hope back. How <laughs> Monica got her hope back. 404 1800 1-800-WSB-TALK. And you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. On News 95.5 at AF 750, WSB. It is cooling off a little bit. Uh, 76 in the studio, but it's still super humid out there. Check out the weather on WSBradio.com or stay tuned for the weekend weather brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. Wrapping up the show, talking about libertarianism generally, I wanted to tell you how I went from just being absolutely hopeless about the American experiment and that that reading on the cover of the U.S. News and World Report that we're all socialists now did not restore my faith in, uh, in our founders, but I was serving the Internet and I stumbled upon a book, an interview with an author, Hans Hermann Hoppe, who wrote a book, Democracy, The God That Failed. And that's just the kind of thing I think, like, tends towards socialism, so I wasn't going to listen to it, but I thought, you know, I kind of thought that this had failed, maybe he's talking to me, and and he really was. And the idea behind it was he was uh, a student, and now a professor, but of Murray Rothbard, who said that society is self-ordering. There is such a thing as spontaneous order and capitalist society above all else because in order to make the transactions, you have security, you have infrastructure. Who would build the roads? Well, the guy who builds the store and the guy who builds the housing development or the auto manufacturers, the energy companies. So there is a self-ordering system when you deal with human commerce... And that's a good way uh, of, of thinking about it. But as you can tell, there is so, so much, uh, so much nuance, so much to the theories of libertarianism, even a lot across the spectrum within it. I do always continue this conversation, always in a libertarian context. You can listen to my podcast, MonicaPerezShow.com, or go to my Facebook page from there. Or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Listen to me here every Saturday from 3 to 6 on WSB. This is Monica Perez. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.